Chapter 2 of The Social War of 1900 or The Conspirators and Lovers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Social War of 1900 or The Conspirators and Lovers by Simon Landis. Chapter 2 The Solemn Oath of the Conspirators. In the year 18-something, there arose in the city of Philadelphia a monstrous agitation and strife among the religious classes, in which war to the hilt was carried on for ten or twelve months. But finally the money-power conquered, the orthodox classes having possession of the filthy lucre. In sooth, the same selfish and bigoted spirit that makes people orthodox makes them also penurious. Because there is neither progression nor generosity in orthodoxy, therefore these kind of people believe in hoarding up and retaining their hoardings, whether in stereotyped religious rites or lucre. Whilst, on the other hand, the progressive and generous thinkers do not place so much value in religious ordinances nor in lucre, hence become poorer in purse and selfishness, but richer in mind and spirit. The leaders of a similar bloody conspiracy that is now breeding consist of three persons, Rob Stew, John Peer, and Nancy Clover. Rob Stew is a man of robust build, with a smooth tongue whose eye can sparkle like an angel's when endeavouring to dupe anyone, but flash fire and fury when cornered or disappointed. He is what the New Testament would call a Judas Iscariot, a viper, scribe, hypocrite, and Pharisee. A man who can dissemble and adapt himself to any kind of villainy, who goes about praying and exhorting, claiming to be a chosen vessel of the Lord. A domineering and self-righteous saint, whose exterior humility deceives thousands, and when one listens to his public prayers and exhortations, he feels as though Brother Stew really was a holy saint without blemish. It is probably this power to dissemble that deceives almost every one who comes within reach of his influence, that gives him an immense sovereignty over the people. Nearly every one who knows him, or knows of him, believes Deacon Stew to be a perfect saint, who could not be guilty of any evil act. But as we pass on, it will be shown that he has two sides, one of which is well hid under a smooth exterior. Joe Peer is a very finely organized man, of medium size, who is the beloved of the fair sex a minister of the gospel who presides over the former, Deacon Stew, but who is nevertheless the submissive tool of Rob Stew. Reverend Joe Peer has many refined, tender, and noble feelings, but being one of those milk-and-water creatures who has no mind of his own, nor enough talent to succeed in life without someone to keep him stiff in the backbone, he is just the miserable though useful instrument in the hands of a Judas, like Deacon Rob Stew to aid in proselytizing millions to the faith of blue-stocking orthodoxy. Nancy Clover is a finely formed female of profound talent and wheedling capacity. She has the faculty of love and power immensely developed, in addition to a mountain of self-deceit, which makes her bold and dauntless. Moreover, she possesses almost a talismanic power to make everyone fall in love with her, whether man or woman and she always plays upon the lute-strings of affection of those whom she wishes to control, before she attempts to use her love of power over them. 
Reverend Joe Pierre deems her to be a goddess, and even old Deacon Stew is under her gigantic influence. Still, the latter often combats vehemently with Sister Clover, and whilst the charming sister permits the saintly Judas to frequently digress from the even path of orthodox piety, she nevertheless frequently, in secret, admonishes him until he feels ashamed of himself, and Sister Clover well knows that this is the only way to hold the old deacon in her power. For it must be evident to anyone, if you will be made to respect a person, you must look up to such a one, and Nancy Clover fully understands human nature, and also knows how to torture and hold in subjection every one she takes a mind to wheedle. The leading conspirators, in company with a few of the faithful, are now in private conclave, plotting the destruction of Victor Juno's influence with General Washington Armington, the millionaire and father of Miss Lucinda Armington, or, if it be necessary, to murder him privately. At any rate, he must cease the agitation of his melodramatic reform, or the orthodox doctrines will lose prestige with the people. They met in Tabernacle Hall on a rainy night. Reverend Joe Peer in the chair. After the meeting was called to order, Deacon Rob Stew said, Mr. President, I have a very important matter to lay before you this evening, which requires immediate action without fear or favor, and I hope that the Brotherhood is ready to use any means to accomplish what I shall have to propose. Should there be any chicken-hearted brothers or sisters present, I move that they be expelled, or swear renewed allegiance to the form of our beloved cause. Here he was interrupted by a surly fellow, who disputed the deacon's right to be so rigorous and mighty as to demand the expulsion of any member of our cause for the purpose of consummating any of his cherished secret plots, which evidently had a close connection with the love-scrape he had with Miss Armington. "'Stop, Mr. Grumbler!' ejaculated Deacon Stew. "'You are a suspicious and faithless fool!' who is not to be trusted with any important work of our cause. I move, Mr. President, I say emphatically, Mr. President, that Brother Grumbler shall at once leave the room, or, if he go not voluntarily, then he shall be expelled by force." "'I will leave this matter to the majority of the friends,' said the President. Nancy Clover rose to the floor and said, "'Brothers, I am grieved at your silly conduct. Are we not a unit? Does not a house divided against itself fall, and shall we quarrel amongst ourselves whilst a dangerous enemy is entering into our family, who, if his course is not summarily checked, will destroy our influence and beloved cause entirely? I repeat, brothers, as you love one another and our common and holy cause, cease these worthless bickerings and remain a unit, remembering that he who holds out to the end shall be saved. This lofty speech of so good, pure, and faithful a disciple as the beautiful sister had a tranquilizing effect, and the whole membership became a unit. As each member is ready to act his part in the contemplated plot of our worthy deacon, I now call for the question and plans of Deacon Stew," said the President. The deacon arose and spoke as follows. Beloved saints, our cause is just and holy. Moreover, as we are the elect and chosen vessels of the Creator, it behooves us to use any means to keep innovators and reprobates away from our path. First, we shall use moderate but effectual means. If, however, they fail, 
or if we even entertain a doubt of failure, we shall, secondly, drive the bullet or dagger to the inner recesses of the heart of the defiler of the Brotherhood. There is a man in our midst who has always held sentiments antagonistic to, and dangerously at variance with, our common and holy cause, who has gained great influence in the family of our most heroic and wealthy co-laborer, I mean the family of General Armington. This innovator, by some act of his, has obtained access to the heart and home of the General, and aims to obtain the hand of Miss Lucinda Armington, which, should he be successful, would ruin our peace, comfort, and safety in all time to come. I am informed that this vile innovator is a very magnificent-looking young man, who can proclaim with a Demosthenic tongue and charm even the most devoted disciple of our faith. In sooth, he has already turned the heads of our staunch Armington family, therefore we are compelled to work very cunningly and deeply, keeping our noble and heroic general in the dark until we contrive some mighty plan for the certain ruination of this Victor Juno, a romantic name for the intended husband of Miss Armington. By the heaven above me, and I invoke the powers that be to aid me, I'll trap him, and make him rue the hour that sent him to set his foot in my path. Brothers and sisters, do you comprehend our condition, and do you swear renewed allegiance to our cause and the work I propose? If so, say each one of you, I will, and raise your left hand toward heaven, whilst you place your right hand upon your beating heart, and pronounce the following solemn words after me repeating each his or her own name. I, Rob Stew, solemnly swear to keep perfectly secret all the plans, acts, and operations of the cause of our sainthood, and should I divulge anything or neglect to do the portion of the work assigned me, I agree to have my upraised left hand burned into cinders. My right hand, which now clasps my beating heart, cut into fragments and my heart torn out by its roots. Moreover, should I fail to do as before stated, I hope to have my soul cast into outer darkness, where there shall be weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth forever, and where the devil and his boon associates shall hiss at me, and pour pestiferous reptiles with envenomed darts upon my sensibilities, lashing and torturing me beyond the expression of language. This do I voluntarily swear and hope for no other destiny should I fail in the fulfillment of each part of our sacred covenant. So help me God! Brethren and sisters of the sacred tie, you have renewed your vows, and I can now confide my bloody plans to your heads and hands. Therefore we shall at once dispatch this sacrilegious innovator, whose very name curdles my blood, and fits me to such bitter business as would cause the devil to quake. End of chapter 2